And we do celebrate when we have the opportunity to send people out, but we also celebrate the fact that we have a God who is still calling people to go and to serve and to do various forms of ministry. It's easy sometimes to get so focused on our own brand of ministry, what we see most clearly here in this local setting, when in reality, we live in a world that all over the place, we are desperate for the word of Jesus Christ to be presented to the world around us. Today we have the privilege of hearing from one of our missionaries, one of the missionaries that has been serving the Wesleyan Church for a very long time. Uh, I will say that uh, they are actually uh, friends that I would consider good friends because I've known them for a very long time as well. Uh, Dan and Joy Irvin, uh, I've had the privilege of going to Haiti where they have served uh, for a long time. Uh, and served with them on three separate occasions. And later this year, we will be uh, taking, I say this year, this uh, school year, which means April of next year, uh, we will be taking a trip to Haiti uh, to be able to minister alongside the missionaries that are there on a full-time basis. And with that in mind, we felt as though it was appropriate for us to bring in one of our missionaries from Haiti. I mentioned that I've known them for a long time. I was just talking with Joy before I came up here uh, they had a picture on their refrigerator from when Andrew was about five years old, and they kept it on the refrigerator for a long time, and he had about five different ties on, uh, and it was just kind of one of those goofy pictures that a little five-year-old takes, um, and of course, I made sure to point out that the kid on the drums was actually that five-year-old kid, uh, and that, that it's, it's, it's exciting to see how people have grown throughout the years. One thing that has been faithful has been the ministry that has taken place in Haiti. It has changed, and Dan will share just a little bit about that in a moment, but uh, what has been consistent has been the presence of God in the midst of many of the tragedies which they have experienced. God is still working, even when things don't go the way we would plan. Um, I will tell you, before Dan comes up, uh, in your bulletin this morning, uh, there should have been these, they're called Faith Promise Cards. Uh, and each year as a church, there are different ways that different churches raise money for missions. So one of the ways that is often used is Faith Promise Giving. And our desire is to be a church that is constantly supporting missions outside of the local church. We want to support ministry here, but we also believe that God has called us to minister to those outside of the local church. Last year, we set a goal of about $31,000 to come in through faith promise giving. This year, we are actually setting the same goal. We were almost exactly uh, about $1,000, $1,500 short of our goal from last year. Uh, and we would like to be able to reach that goal this time around. So we have set the same goal. Throughout the month of October, we will be collecting pledge cards, which is what those faith promise cards are in your bulletin. Um, I don't necessarily need to have your name. Uh, if you want to put your name on there, that's fine. The purpose of having people fill out the cards is to help us to know what is supposed to be coming in so that we can plan on making sure that all of it gets to our missionaries as they go in support of the message of Christ. Uh, this year, part of it will go toward raising money for the uh, mission trip that is going to take place probably. There are different things uh, that we'll put it toward, but it will go toward missions, and that is what our focus is. Today, it is a privilege to have Reverend Dan Irvin with us, and I think Dan was a Wesleyan missionary before they had global partners. Uh, is that correct? 
so he's basically, I think he started Global Partners. Uh, probably not, but he has been an incredible blessing to me, and I hope that you guys will enjoy hearing him share this morning uh, as a part of our missions conference. This morning, I would appreciate if you would join with me in a focus prayer. Um, this morning, as we are gathering um, a number of congregations in the country of Haiti are trying to have church. And I think you can identify, having seen the pictures that you have seen on your television, uh, we have at least six churches that are completely without roofs. And um, in the places where the, the churches still have roofs, they're full of people whose homes have lost covering. And so this morning across the southern peninsula of Haiti, uh, in a, at least a dozen places, there are hurting congregations I know Haitians well enough to know that they are, uh, some of them are hungry. Their food was destroyed, wet, blown away. Um, some of them are in maybe damp clothing, uh, old muddy things that they would never normally come to church in. If you've ever been to church in Haiti, you know that you get the best of what they have every Sunday morning. And so let's pray this morning for just a few minutes in support of our brothers and sisters this morning who are suffering, that in that place today, that God will give them hope and restore their confidence in him, help them to understand that uh, he is not unmindful of their situation. Because I promise you one thing, in those places today, is some of them without a roof, they are praising God. And they're reaching out to him in their hearts and in their spirits. And let's just pray that God will pour in today what those people need. Father, we pray that you will do for us what we cannot do. We cannot deliver hope to people. Father, we pray that your Holy Spirit would minister in an extraordinary way in these broken places today. Help them to feel not only your love, but ours. And Father, help us to be agents of practical ministry to them in the days to come. In Jesus' name. We pray. Amen. Ten years ago, Joy and I had just resigned our church. At that time, we were pastoring in northwestern Pennsylvania. And we had just announced to our congregation that we were leaving, that we felt the call of God to go back to uh, mission, the mission field in Haiti. And a pastor friend from a neighboring church called and said, well, if you're leaving, we better celebrate with a piece of pie. And we had a little diner that we loved, and it's a hole-in-the-wall kind of a place that you'd be afraid of if you didn't know the owner. And uh, we went to have a piece of pie. We chatted about everything under the sun. Our children were a similar age, and, and we just talked about pastor stuff. And as we were leaving, we shook hands and hugged, and he said, we'll see you in 10 years, and uh, kind of a joke, you didn't know it, I haven't seen him yet, so it's been a little more than 10 years. But just as he was getting in his car, and we had parked several vehicles apart at the diner, <clears throat> he leaned over, he, he stepped up and he yelled across the roof of his car, read Isaiah 58, in the message. Got in, shut the, co the car door, and left. It was totally random, had nothing to do with our conversation, have you ever had a period where God used somebody's voice to speak to you? 
Maybe they didn't even know it. I have, a no, I have a pretty good idea. He had no idea what that one line has meant to me and how it's changed my life. I didn't know then how much I was going to need that passage of scripture and how much it was going to form and inform my ministry for the next 10 years. I, I did that. That was so unusual that it got my attention and I went straight back to my study that I was in the process of packing up and I picked up a copy of the message that I had there. You know, pastors usually have at least a dozen Bibles. And I began to read it and it's a fascinating story. I'd read it before, but it never really seized my imagination. It's an absolutely fascinating story. You draw a little triangle in your mind. You have God, you have the people of Israel and you have the prophet. And sometimes that wasn't a fun job to have back in those days. The prophet Isaiah was receiving for the people of Israel a message from God. Now the very first verse of that chapter, it, it starts off in many translations with the word shout. I think we would say in modern English, yell. In other words, do it loudly. Make sure you get the people's attention. I have a message for them. This is kind of the story that plays out in that chapter. Apparently, the people of Israel were complaining about God's attention to them. They felt like they had been very faithful and that he wasn't necessarily answering all their prayers. He was not as attentive to them as he should be. After all, we are the people of God. God's answer was probably not what they expected. God basically says to the prophet, this is what I want you to tell the people. If you think your temple service, in our day we would say going to church impresses me, you're wrong. As people of God, that's what you're supposed to do. It's expected. In that day it was come at the right times to the right festivals, bring the lamb, you know, stand up, sit down, sing the songs. God was saying to the people, that's not what impresses me. And to put it in real, this is not even the message now, this is the Irvin translation. What happens on Sunday morning, in their case Saturday, but you understand. What happens Sunday morning is the team meeting. It's not the game. The game is what happens out there. In other words, God set a whole new metric for the people to measure their faithfulness to him. And this is very important. It's not faithfulness to attend church services, as wonderful as that is. And sorry, Pastor Mike, I'm not trying to say don't come to church. What I'm saying is the real measure of your effectiveness of children of God has to do with your influence in this community. You see, all throughout the Bible, there's a principle that I think sometimes we fail to understand as modern Christians, and that is the idea of shalom. We say the word, we're told it means peace. It means way more than that. It's God's standard for the world. And in the New Testament, he uses the expression kingdom, knowing that some of us would understand that word a little better. In other words, God intends for us, the people who carry his name, to invade our communities with the influence and the power of the kingdom of God. It's a very different standard. If you think that this passage was a one-off thing that is kind of an isolated thing and I'm making a strange interpretation of it, I beg to differ with you. 
Uh, three chapters later, Isaiah penned some powerful words. And interestingly enough, in Luke chapter 4, when Jesus declared his ministry open for business, if you want to say his personal ministry statement, he quoted from this passage in the 61st chapter of Isaiah a similar theme where he said, the spirit of the Lord is on me because he has appointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. You know, some people want to spiritualize those things, but Jesus did them, hands dirty, boots on the ground. In my role as area director for Global Partners, I have a lot of responsibility and I feel the weight of that every day. I don't have a nine to five job. I'm never off duty. <laughs> I was late for the, for the uh, missionary thing yesterday because I got a phone call from a partner talking about our response in Haiti. It's part of the job and most days I love it. I direct a missionary team of 19, actually 20, amazing, dedicated talented people who pour out their lives in ways that would be difficult for most of us to understand. I unapologetically, unapologetically raise and spend as much money as I possibly can find to do the kingdom work in our area countries. I have a lot of influence and try to equip and resource our, natural, our national churches to stay on target and to be instruments of God's grace and mercy to be true voices of the good news that you sang about this morning. We have 137 churches this morning in Haiti. And in all of those places, the good news is being proclaimed. We have a, a, in total in the area about 200 churches that have already met or will be meeting to proclaim the good news. But I hear things that bother me. <laughs> I get comments like this some, from time to time. We do ministries of compassion in order to enhance our platform for evangelism. No, we don't. We do ministries of compassion because it is the heart of God and because we are sent to do it and to be those people in those communities. It inevitably enhances our platform for evangelism. That is a given, but that's not the reason we do it. I have heard people say we are called to make disciples, not to do social work. Let me tell you something. I understand what they're trying to say, and it is possible for a church to get lost and distracted in doing ministry and lose the essential transformational component that is the heart of the gospel. But I submit to you that many times that kind of remark comes from a deficient understanding of making disciples. I've heard people say there will always be poor people. Well, that may be a true statement, but if it's being used as an excuse not to engage the people who are around us, it's not a godly response. And the one that gets me the most, somebody quoting from an evangelical missions periodical said, why are we spending so much time and so much money, so many people invested in the country of Haiti? It's 97% reached. <laughs> oh, what does that mean? 
If it means that the gospel has been proclaimed, if that's the essence of our responsibility to this world, then we're done. Actually, we've been done for a long time because as soon as there was shortwave radio, there was no place on the planet that the gospel couldn't be heard. Especially now, given the internet and the complete reach of the internet, you would be hard-pressed to find a place in the world that you could say that the gospel hasn't been proclaimed. I submit to you that our responsibility is much broader than that. I wrestle with that. What are the metrics? How do we measure the effectiveness of our church? How do we measure the effectiveness of our personal lives? How do we effect, measure the effectiveness, in my case, of a, of a missionary enterprise? Well, we measure people serving. We measure attendance at church services. We report on our programs. I don't think there's anything wrong with any of those things. Those are all attempts to measure forward progress or not. It's hard to measure shalom. It is hard to measure the essence of our kingdom presence in the community. Let me tell you a personal story to help you understand, and I hope it will be meaningful to you. As I was churning with this and trying to understand what is the heart of God, what is the way to truly measure power and effectiveness in ministry, how can we be sure that we are using the resources that are in our hands in the best possible way? Are ministries of compassion a distraction from some higher calling? I want to tell you the story because I think it helps to illustrate how God can help us move something from our, from our head to our heart. It was my prayer. God, show me your heart for ministry. We were at a graduation. Graduations are good things. When you have five children and you space them so perfectly that from the year 2000 to the year 2016, you have at least one student in university and sometimes two, you really celebrate graduations. One is because your children are achieving something useful and good, and that's always wonderful. It's always good to celebrate that. The second thing is that that's one more school bill that you will not have to pay anymore. You get that. Part of the program of the graduation was a song. It was performed by a very talented and disciplined choir. They never failed to disappoint. And I was looking forward to the song with anticipation but what actually happened was unexpected. To help you get a little sense of, uh, set the mood a little bit, to help you get a sense of what happened to me in that place, I brought a little sound clip. It's not the chorale that was singing the song, but it's a, it's a very good uh, representation of the song, sung in a beautiful way, a cappella song, but it wasn't the beauty of the music that wrecked me. It was the image that the writer, Kurt Bester, is trying to invoke in our minds. Let's listen to a minute of it. Can you Yeah. Mm-hmm. 
song and as many times as I've used this message it never fails to invoke that that emotion in me aching for home for something of their very own reaching hands with nothing to hold on to let's do a little practical theology exercise here would you follow along with me the message of that song creates in our minds, and you have a different picture than I do, but mine's a very powerful picture, partially because I'm a father and a grandfather, and they do something to melt the hardest heart and to help you to see and feel when they smile at you and when they reach up and take your finger. There's something in our humanness that just responds to the love that children show us, and here's an image of children like that, somebody's children, somebody's grandchildren, in a dark corner somewhere praying desperately to God because of the fear, because of the hunger, because of the pain. And the images that you saw on your television screen during this week should make it fairly easy for you to know that that's a real thing. It's a powerful image in my mind also because I have stood in some of the darkest, ugliest places in this hemisphere. And have watched little children come running out of their desperate conditions where no human being should live into the sanctuary of our churches and schools and watch them enjoy the, the high walls and the security, the food and the, and the clean water and then watch them hesitantly leaving at night going back into the hellish conditions that are their daily realities. And so that image wrecked me, track with me. Does God know about these children? Well, we've declared him to be sovereign here already this morning. That means he does know. Does God care about these children? Well, we've declared him this morning in our worship to be a God of love and compassion. So the answer has to be yes. Are you still with me? If he's a God who knows and cares, then he has to respond, doesn't he? Wouldn't that seem totally logical? And I'm sure God responds in many ways that we do not see, but the last and most disturbing part of this little progression for me is this one. What is God's response to those prayers? And the most visible, the most tangible response that God has to the prayers of the children and the other broken people of our world, it's us. It's supposed to be. So I would say to you and to me, how are we doing? I'm looking for my answer why we spend so much time doing ministries of compassion, trying to re meet real and practical needs in Haiti. It, it doesn't mean that we don't build churches. We've built 137 of them. 
And they are not just 11 to noon places on Sunday morning. They are daily places of ministry to their communities. They are community centers. Places where all kinds of things happen. Prayer services at 4.30, 5 o'clock in the morning. Community meetings. Community health training. Schools. We build schools. We have 82 of them. And we are increasing three new ones in the last four years. We, com- we partner with World Hope and Compassion to try to add extra value than things beyond what the local community is able to afford. We have a hospital. It serves an isolated population on an island, the island of Laganov. We have a community health project that is very substantial. It reaches into 23 different communities. We have a nursing school to meet a desperate need, a very practical need in the country, but it also does something else. It gives women, young women, a place to earn to learn a skill that will serve them and provide for them all the days of their lives and, and elevate their position in their community and give them a voice. Dr. Jackson, my boss, the director of Global Partners, says, he, he, he phrases the Great Commission in these terms. We are called to serve the here and the near and the far and the hard. I like those terms because I think maybe they speak to us better than geographic terminology that we're used to quoting from Scripture. What does that mean? Here is right here. Here is you. Pastor Mike, here is your job and your community and these people's job. Near is also your job. Near is that population group, whether it's because of ethnicity or language or socioeconomic conditions, whatever causes a little distance. God is telling you that you're supposed to stretch a little and reach out. And the Bible never says to create a place for people to come to. The instructions of scripture are always for us to go and reach out and to have presence there so people will come, not necessarily to our church, but to our Lord. And then there's the far and the hard. And have no fear, God will call people to go to the far and hard. And he puts a call on them that they cannot escape. And he puts a love in their heart that's irrational to go to those places. So God's called all of you to be people of the, of the here and the near and the far and the hard. You can help the far and the hard by supporting people like us who have, who have been called to a specific place to serve a specific group of people, to be good senders and supporters, to engage, to understand what's going on, to, to, to be prayer warriors, and to be present in those places as you can by visiting. The theme of the scripture is this. God is calling his people and still calling his people. He's calling them to war. Not the, not the violent, carnal kind of war that we're used to thinking is associating with that terminology. But a war nonetheless against sin and all of its effects. Against hopelessness and the, the, the wreck that the evil one has made of our society. And I'll say to you that nothing else is worth your life. To answer that call is the highest response that a human being can make. Not just to answer the call to salvation, to become a child of God, but to join hands with God himself and all the others who have answered that call to become the solution in our communities, in our families, and in the world. I love the spirit of William Booth. More than 100 years ago, he said this, while women weep as they do now, I will fight. While children 
Go hungry as they do now. I will fight. While men go to prison as they do now, in and out, in and out, this was a hundred years ago, I will fight. While there is a drunkard left, not a politically correct terminology, it was a hundred years ago. While there is a poor lost girl on the streets, while there remains one dark soul, without the light of God, I will fight. Friends, we are God's army. We are God's response. And I don't know what that means for you because there is no formula. There is no broad application other than this. God has placed you in a family. He's placed you in a community. He's placed you in a place of employment or in a school, whatever your situation. And he has put you there for a reason. And that is that you are to represent him. You are to bring the kingdom of God to that place. I thank you for your attention this morning. Father, I pray that you will do once again what we cannot do for ourselves. You will apply a truth that comes from your word to every single person who is receiving it this morning. And for that, we will give you praise and honor. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, Dan, for sharing specifically how God is working, uh, not only in Haiti, but even here. It is a blessing that we have the privilege of being a part of something much bigger than ourselves. And what we do as we support missions is we support missionaries that often they become our extension. They become an extension of the ministry that we do here, but we are not able to be in all these different places at all at the same time. But what happens is through those missionaries, they become agents of us as a church. It is a privilege to be able to partner with Dan and Joy uh, and to be able to partner with all the different missionaries that we support. There are various, uh, actually there's a board out here in this hallway. If you ever want to know who gets supported through the missions of this church, I encourage you to check that out. But what I want to really encourage you with today is to recognize your role in meeting the needs of others in our community. Not only those in Haiti or in other places around the world, but here. Uh, We have a calling. Let's fulfill the calling that God has placed on us. This isn't about just us. This is about what God desires to do in this world. And we have a privilege to be a part of that. Dan, Joy, I know you didn't get to share this morning, but thank you so much for being with us, to be able to share that with us this morning. And would you just express your appreciation to them this morning? I'm going to close this with a word of prayer, and uh, then we'll be dismissed. Father, thank you for the privilege of being a part of your work. Thank you for the message that has been shared. Uh, Thank you for the fact that the gospel is not something that is difficult. Uh, It has been uh, provided to us as a free gift. Lord, I pray that you would help us to now take that gospel to the world around us, to be able to minister to people in very practical ways, loving them, showing them the grace of Jesus Christ. But as was shared today, help us to do it for the right reason, simply because we are your instruments and we care about the people that you have created. I pray that you would be honored today as we become willing instruments ready to be used by you. Put us in positions where truly our lives can make a difference. And we will give you praise, honor, and glory for what you do. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. I'm going to ask Dan and Joy if you guys would head out that way first. And then if uh, the rest of you, as soon as they get out there, you guys will be dismissed. And you guys can give them a greeting or whatever as you guys leave. Thank you for being with us this morning.